Can you recall a time when you found yourself in a situation thinking or feeling this is the last thing I want to do? You might be experiencing feelings of anxiety, of depression, of fear. You may be experiencing a loss of appetite. You can't sleep. Your mind is constantly occupied with this thing that you are faced with. It's an awful place to be, isn't it? In this well-known scene of Jesus and the disciples at the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night Jesus was betrayed, we glean an insight into the very real human side of Jesus. Whilst doing his Father's will always remained the priority of Jesus, a cup he will willingly drink from, there is a moment where we observe in Jesus, through his words and his actions, a sense of this is the last thing I want to do. What Jesus is soon to endure is absolutely beyond our comprehension. The shadow of the cross looms large at the Garden of Gethsemane. But what about the piercing pain of betrayal from Judas? The gut-wrenching denial of Peter? What about the torture, the public humiliation, rejection and shaming of all the onlookers? But none of this could even come close to the overriding devastation and agony of bearing the weight of the world's sins on his shoulders and being separated from his father. The weight of the burden that Jesus was carrying was immense. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he says to his disciples. The sadness that Jesus was feeling in this moment was intense, so much so that he felt as though it might actually kill him. It wasn't simply that Jesus would die, as distressing as that would be. It was the kind of death he faced. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Gosh, it's burden enough carrying the sins of one individual, let alone the sins of all humanity for all time. 
for all history. I can't begin to imagine what was going on for Jesus in that moment. We get a very real and a very raw glimpse into this dramatic scene in the garden in in Matthew chapter 26. It's also told in Mark and Luke's account. And according to Luke's account of Gethsemane, in the presence of an angel who was sent to strengthen Jesus during this incredible trial, we are told that he sweated drops of blood, indicating the level of extreme stress that he was under as he utters the words, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. My Father, this is the last thing I want to do. What an immense battle that was taking place on this most dark of dark nights in Gethsemane. It is here that the battle of the will was won. Jesus, in his final moments of freedom here on earth, was mentally and spiritually preparing for what lay ahead. He was wrestling with the psychological burden of what he knew he must endure. At Gethsemane, Jesus was fighting the private spiritual battle of the will before he fought the physical battle of the cross of Calvary. As we spend some moments together in this place of contrasting struggle and sleep, may we be awakened to the magnificent depths of Christ's love expressed in his humanity, fighting for us. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? God, we pause to acknowledge your presence with us here now. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for your holy word. Lead us into righteousness for your name's sake, we pray. Amen. At Gethsemane, we have this strong contrast between the spiritual and physical intensity of Jesus fervently in prayer, sweating drops of blood, versus the tired, sleepy, 
speechless disciples. Peter, James and John, also known as the inner three, were physically close to Jesus, but spiritually distant. After sharing in the Last Supper, Jesus and the disciples were on the Mount of Olives. Matthew then explains that they moved to a place called Gethsemane, a place that John tells us in chapter 18, verse 2, they frequented regularly. During this time that they had shared together, Jesus had predicted his imminent death. And at that Last Supper, Peter had declared that he wouldn't deny Jesus. This is the backdrop to our story or our scene today. This is a photo that Susie took when she was at Gethsemane. And there's lots of old olive trees in this garden. The word Gethsemane means oil press. And it's rather significant to think about the oil being pressed out of an olive and, in a sense, the life that was being pressed out of Jesus in this moment and that would continue to be pressed out of him as he went to Calvary. Many of us are familiar with deep inner turmoil. And if we are not, then it is only a matter of time. Because unfortunately, it is part of the human condition in a broken world. It's awful when you are carrying a burden, a grief so deep that your soul feels depleted and ravaged of pain and uncertainty. You can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't function as you normally would. And whilst our grief and trauma can likewise cause deep sadness in our spirits, we can't even begin to relate to everything that Jesus was experiencing in this moment. What I do find so encouraging, though, is to consider the fact how much Jesus relates to us. When you find yourself in a place of deep inner turmoil, you can cry out to God and know that he gets it. And know that he has been there and experienced something of what that is like. Jesus entered fully into the human experience. And he of all people understands what it is to carry a heavy burden. This is what makes the humanity, the manhood of Christ so remarkable. We don't serve a God who is so distant and so far and lofty that he is unable to relate to some of the most difficult 
experiences and feelings we will journey through in this life. No, he appreciates and understands the human experience. Jesus prays on three separate occasions. Matthew records the first two prayers, which are presumably summaries of a much longer dialogue that Jesus had with his father, given that there were at least an hour interval in that first prayer. The third prayer replicates the second. Let's just spend a moment considering the prayers of Jesus before we come to the disciples. In his first prayer, Jesus recognising that anything is possible for God, pleads for his Father that if there is any way at all, could this cup of suffering be removed from him? Mark's account slightly differs. Let's consider what both of them say. Matthew says, My Father... If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. In Mark's account, we read, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Note the intimacy of the way Jesus addresses his God. My Father in Matthew and Abba Father in Mark. The image here is one of a son petitioning his father for reprieve in a state of absolute desperation. In the Old Testament, the cup has associations of suffering and the wrath of God. And clearly the same kind of symbolism is implied here. The cross is Jesus' cup that he is faced with drinking. And humanly speaking, in this moment, he did not want to. This moment really highlights the humanity of Christ, doesn't it? Who hasn't said to God in so many words, please remove this cup from me? The most difficult thing in such a situation may be its crushing inevitability. As much as you want that cup to be removed, you know in your heart of hearts that this is your cup to bear. Have you ever felt like you want to escape from your life? Like you're living some kind of a nightmare that you wish you could wake up from? 
hang on, this isn't the script that was supposed to play out in my life. This wasn't how things were meant to be. You ever felt that way? God, remove this cup from me. There's some pretty almighty cups that men and women have had to bear and continue to bear in this very room. But as a pastor, I, I know a lot about your situations. And I want to point you to Jesus this morning. As one who has been there and pleaded with his father, remove this cup from me. Even when you know it is your cup to bear, this gives you permission, an invitation, if you will, at the very least, to cry out to God in your heart of hearts. Please remove this cup from me. The very fact that God would allow us to utter such words in his presence, I think is an act of his grace. There's a sense of allowing us to be real and to be human. In Gethsemane, Jesus met the dreadful silence of heaven. There is no reassuring words proclaiming, This is my son whom I dearly love. Jesus is met with silence. And how many times have you felt? In your hour of need, as though you have been met with the silence of heaven. Jesus knew that he would suffer and die. He had been foretelling, predicting that this would happen to his disciples, preparing them for what was to come. He knew that it was his cup to bear. And yet we get this magnificent glimpse into this moment where we see the very real human Jesus crying out, remove this cup from me. Jesus was in the agonizing place of waiting. Having returned to his disciples and finding them sleeping, Jesus goes back to prayer a second time. His prayer has now changed. There is a greater degree of acceptance in Jesus' words and tone. My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
Jesus has accepted that drinking this cup, going to the cross, is indeed his Father's will. The will of the Father is Jesus' primary concern. Clearly, Jesus has had time to process his feelings and emotions, and the Father has granted him some necessary perspective. He knows that millions of men and women before and after his victory over sin at the cross will be reconciled to the Father through his death. When we find ourselves in a place of feeling overwhelmed with sorrow and grief, uncertain of how to move forward, how can we continue? What can we learn from Jesus in the garden? He doesn't avoid the hard truth of his situation. He takes it on. But he doesn't go it alone. He desired company. And in spite of their seemingly uh, incapacity or inability to remain awake and alert and prayerful with Jesus regardless of how they conducted themselves, Jesus wanted his closest friends with him. He desired company. And when you find yourself in a place of deep inner turmoil, you need people with you. Even if it's only two or three your closest friends or family. You need others close. If you are ever tempted to hide your struggles from friends and conceal from your loved ones your deepest pain, hear the words of Jesus that he spoke to his friends in Gethsemane. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. These are not the words of a person who is hiding their feelings. These are not the words of someone who is giving a facade that everything's okay when it's not. The disciples were probably terrified to hear these words. They may have found themselves deeply grieved as well. Can you imagine one of your closest friends or even your spouse saying such words as this? My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. How could such words not move you and cause you distress? Imagine what it was like for the disciples to see Jesus, the one who had often been so in control, the one who had calmed the waters, the one who had raised Lazarus from death, 
the one who had miraculously fed the 5,000, the one who communed so intimately with his father. These are the words that are now coming forth from his lips. It must have been terrifying for his disciples to hear him speak such words. Expressing your feelings honestly in deeply troubling times is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of humanity. It is a sign of humility. It is also a way of being able to invite others who love us to love us. Sometimes we need to allow those who love us to love us. And when we express honestly from our hearts what's really going on, Yes, that does require vulnerability. But it opens up a door. Having returned to the disciples a second time, only to find them sleeping again, having instructed them earlier to watch and pray, Jesus goes back to prayer for a third and last time. And Matthew informs us that on this occasion, he prays the same prayer that he had prayed before. Perhaps on this occasion, there was a deeper sense of committing himself to the Father's will, to accepting the cup that he was to drink. Too often, we perhaps feel obliged to move immediately into the yet not your will Yet not my will be done, but yours space. Before we have first allowed ourselves to linger with the feelings of remove this cup from me. We may even feel guilty and feel as though surely we can't say remove this cup from me. But you see, in Jesus we have both. We have removed this cup from me but we also have yet not my will be done, but your will be done. There's a sense here of Jesus going through an honest process of feelings and faith. (laughs) And they are two realities that we live with, aren't they, friends? Our feelings are real. God has made us to be emotionally feeling beings. But as those who have placed their faith in God Almighty, we are also people of faith. Many of the Psalms play this dance, don't they, between feeling and faith. Feeling and faith. It's okay 
to have feeling. (laughs) Your source of strength and resolve is in your faith. Jesus moves from feelings to faith. It's an example to us. When we find ourselves in a time or a season of immense sorrow and inner turmoil and ask, how can I go on? The answer that we see from Jesus is found in his relationship to Abba, the intimacy of the father-son relationship. My father, Abba, father. When that relationship is close and intimate, Faith can override feeling. It's not that the feelings are invalid. They are. But there are times when we need our faith to rise above our feelings. And it's that intimate walk with God that will allow that process to happen. If you find yourself with your feelings being the prominent posture and your faith not so, my question would be, what's the relationship like with your heavenly father? Ask and desire for that intimacy You need others around you for that to happen as well. That's why God places his people in community. There are times when you are so burdened that you do not know and you cannot pray yourself. You don't know what to pray. You don't have the strength to pray. That is where community, a family of faith, comes in. Have the vulnerability to invite others into that space to lift you up. It's not just the human Jesus that we discover at Gethsemane, though, but also the very human disciples. As I mentioned at the start, there is quite a radical contrast we see at Gethsemane with Jesus spiritually in battle, in this moment of intense trauma and stress, in the contrast to the sleeping disciples. Now, at this point, it would be very easy for us to take a cheap shot at the disciples (laughs) and somehow think that if we were there with Jesus, we could have been a more consoling friend him at that time. We must first acknowledge that surely the disciples really had no idea of what was really going on. We have the wonderful gift of scripture and we can see the whole story. They were in the moment. (laughs) Jesus had initially asked them to keep watch. There was no initial instruction to pray. 
Jesus knew that his betrayer would come, but beforehand he wanted a moment of protection and of privacy to be alone with his father. On the first occasion, Jesus rebukes them for falling asleep. On the second time, he invites them or instructs them to watch and pray against the temptation of the flesh, which in this context is the temptation to fall asleep. Sometimes when we're going through something difficult, just having the active presence of a loved one beside us can make such a difference. Jesus didn't want to feel alone. There are moments in our lives when we don't want to feel alone. Perhaps we feel a little vulnerable, maybe even unsafe. A silly illustration that I came to my mind in this is when we've been driving late at night, maybe coming back from holidays or something, maybe we've done a day trip to Canberra and the three kids are asleep and if Bron or I are driving, if it's late at night, we much prefer for the other person beside us to be awake. You know, if you're driving a car full of sleeping people late at night, that can feel vulnerable. Just having the person next to you awake They don't need to be saying or doing anything. But somehow the active presence of another in a vulnerable situation can make all the difference. And there's a sense that that's what Jesus wanted in this moment. He wanted his closest friends to be with him actively in their presence. But the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Wow. Can't we relate to that? Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The fact that Jesus verbalizes these words, again, I believe, another act of grace. Jesus knew how much these guys loved him and desired to be with him. They went on to become incredible witnesses for the gospel. They'd been with Jesus through all of these years. No doubt they desired to be with him. But the flesh was weak. I certainly find myself identifying with the disciples in their weakness. It's not a question of whether or not one loves Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there are times when everything will say to us, sleep. (laughs) From a physical perspective, if it's late at night, they'd had a meal together naturally, sleep would have been the obvious thing to do. But Jesus had a more important task for them, and that was staying awake and remaining prayerful. Saying yes to Jesus will at times require us saying no to things that feel very natural and very normal. Very natural and very normal to fall asleep. But Jesus says, stay awake. I'm sure there are times in our lives as believers 
when Jesus wants us to be spiritually awake, but we are spiritually asleep. We may be physically close, but spiritually we're asleep. Christ needs his disciples spiritually awake. Today, as we've considered the manhood of Jesus, and we've gone to this dramatic scene at Gethsemane, I believe there are some wonderful insights for us when it comes to dealing with deep distress. Firstly, don't go it alone. You need others with you. The temptation can actually be to push people away when we're going through a very distressing time. But what we see modelled here with Jesus is in fact an invitation to come even closer. What we see in Jesus is a modelling of crying out to God honestly from our heart and allowing our feelings to be verbalised and heard. But we also see the role of faith and the priority of the Father's will over the personal feelings. And just as in Luke's account, we see an angel coming to comfort and strengthen Jesus in his hour of need. May we know the comfort, the strength, the powerful presence of Jesus who said, never will I leave you during those times of deep inner turmoil and distress. In his humanity, Christ is poured out for us. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, this is a difficult place to be in the scriptures as we observe you deeply distressed as you were confronted with the cup that you had to bear. Well, Jesus, as those who are beneficiaries, recipients of your grace, of your love, of your forgiveness, of your kindness, of your mercy. We say thank you for everything you went through so that death could be defeated, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be made right with God, our Heavenly Father and Creator. 
Lord Jesus, you alone are our Lord and our Saviour. We trust in you. We look to you. May your will be done in our lives. Amen.